0: story about systems. In 2011, my wife uh, had just finished up her undergraduate. She was about 46 years old. She went back to school a couple years previous and she finished at WSU, Washington State University online and decided that. She wanted to continue to pursue an education. So she ended up at Antioch University, Seattle. And Antioch has um, a long history as a university, Seattle is a satellite location. And she chose a program called Whole Systems Design as a master's program and whole systems design was crafted back in 1984, 1985, um, at the Seattle location specifically. The idea was to create a master's degree program that was geared around transformative change and uh, cultural social sustainability. And so what they had done is they had taken the teachings from various uh, new minds in, in the field of system science. Most of those came out of MIT. The primary was a woman named Donella Meadows, who um, passed away, I believe, in the 90s and at MIT back in the late 60s and early 70s as they were developing their computer science programs one of the things that they began to kind of see and understand about computer programs and algorithms were that there was in there was a perspective that you needed to have as a human being in order to kind of understand how to look at them otherwise you know if 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 you didn't have this lens that had to be curated, it had to be designed, it had to be made, you know, um, in order to view computer systems and algorithms in a specific way, it was difficult for you to understand the processes, feedback loops, um, and emergent systems that were happening within, um, within this language that you were creating, that you were writing. And so the idea of systems theory was born. Well, Donella, Donella Meadows uh, had decided to take the idea of systems theory and she wrote kind of her archetypal book um, called Thinking in Systems. And the book was not necessarily geared towards looking at systems from a societal perspective. But it was definitely about how to observe systems in general, not just computer systems, from this lens or perspective. So fast forward, come into the into the 90s and the early 2000s. And this idea is beginning to kind of bubble up and... um a number of artists, uh, a number of writers are beginning to uh, kind of expound upon the original work that Donella had put together and um, realized through their own observations that systems theory was an incredibly powerful tool, a powerful paradigm in order to look at the world at large. One of my favorites is uh, Fritschop Capra, who wrote a book called The Web of Life. And in this book, uh, Capra goes into detail and describes these ideas of how nature is clearly a, an extraordinarily complex system. And when we observe nature and we observe how it works, the way we've been taught to look at it um, for the past six centuries is from a Newtonian um Um, Carpathian critical thinking um, kind of point of view, a deconstructionist point of view. In other words, to take the uh, the element of nature that you're looking at and break it down into its smallest parts in order to understand the whole. Uh, you know, I mean, this is, you know, from its basic form, this is what This is what uh, dissecting a frog is in science class. And from its much more kind of long-lasting form, the classification of the species is, you know, uh, a way of breaking down this system in order to understand it. It works. It does work. Uh, In fact, it works so well that the entire 20th and 21st century is the emergent property that came out of that system of thought. I mean, clearly capitalism and, and uh, the entire ideas of, of the Republic of the United States and, and, you know, the idea of globalization, colonization, all its goods, all its bads, uh, you know, the enslavement of people, the genocide of others, the, the, proliferation of managerial and corporate structures, the hierarchical organization of individuals into highly effective uh, cooperatives in order to achieve uh, singular goals and missions. And these things work, right? Interestingly enough, as so many back in the 60s and 70s began to see early on, uh, for instance, the book Silent Spring uh, written in the late fifties about the the d d t um, and basically the poisoning of um, of nature with pesticides is still relevant today. Much of the work of early uh environmentalists is still relevant today the, you know a lot of uh, of the work of those that we're talking about harm our social systems do, criminal justice, religious systems, medical systems, um, were correct. You know, they, that, those, those things are still relevant today. In fact, they're so relevant that we're living in a time in which we can, we, it, looking at, at this from a systems perspective, it sure, it sure seems like the system we're living in, built upon a hierarchical, deconstructionist, Newtonian perspective is beginning to severely fray at the edges. And that fraying is dangerous. I mean, for the first time in my lifetime, I'm hearing people openly on the left and the right, on the up and the down, I'm hearing people openly use the word civil war. This is the first time I've ever used it in this podcast, and I use it with great hesitancy because I don't think that's something that you just toss around. I think that's a a foolish thing to just toss around. And I want to be clear when I say it. I do not believe that that is the path we have to go down. I am simply saying that I find it incredibly telling. That in the zeitgeist, this word is being thrown around. I haven't heard it thrown around casually very often. There are two words. I have heard it thrown around mostly in a question. Are we really? So Jerry, my wife, ends up going into this program. And she's in her first quarter, and there's a instructor there that's teaching her. Um, uh, his name is Sadru, and she comes home from this course. The way these courses work is, once a month, you go, you spend the entire weekend on campus, uh, and then you're, you know, you're you're remote. You're meeting with your 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 teams in person, and you've got you're you're broken into cohorts, and those cohorts are broken into smaller groups, and. And, uh, and so you're, you're, you know, you're actively meeting with people, but, um, you know, and the, and, and your cohort can be anywhere from, you know, I've, I've seen cohorts as small as six, eight, 10 people. Um, my, you know, my wife's cohort was, I think 12 or 13 and my cohort ended up being 28, which brings me to my point. So she comes home and she invites me to the next lecture, the second lecture with Sadru. And so I go. And very graciously, Sadru allows me to spend the entire day with uh, with this cohort. And I'm blown away at what I'm hearing. I had always thought that there was a way to communicate about the world's problems in a manner that was not talking about people, uh, which... Eleanor Roosevelt called talking about people, the acts of small minded individuals. It also wasn't talking about events or, or, you know, things that happened. We were talking about ideas. So we were not talking about, um, about things that had happened and we were not talking about the acts of, uh, you know, about people, right? Like he sheds, he's he said, she said, we were talking about ideas. And that seemed to me to be an extraordinarily powerful thing to experience. So in that class that I went at the end of the day, uh, Sadru had shown us a, a, a film, a video, and uh, it was of... um. A man named Krishnamurti, which I've quoted often in this podcast. Um, Krishnamurti uh, was a 20th century philosopher and he, thinker, and he's, uh, we I quote him all the time when I say, the only hope for humanity is the transformation of the individual, which is a profound statement. The only hope for humanity, all of us. The only hope is the transformation of the individual, each of us. And he was talking with David Baum. Uh, David Baum is a physicist, um, worked, uh, you know, quite extensively on, on quantum theory. And I believe, I want to say at Harvard, um, and most of his work took place through the, through the 70s and the 80s. So, this is an hour-long conversation between these two, and they're going back and forth, and they're asking each other questions. And the manner in which they're they're answering these questions is is um, not to try and uh, and reach over on top of one another, not trying to best one another, not trying to compete with one another. The way they're holding this conversation is they they are holding it as if they are um, they are building the Sistine Chapel right there in front of them without any, any preparation and simply allowing the pieces to emerge in the midst of the moment. And as the conversation progressed, it became this incredibly deep and incredibly profound Dialogue on consciousness and, and, and where are we and who are we between a physicist and a thinker, a mystic a philosopher. I was, that was it. I was sold. I signed up the following year. So my started in 2012 uh, and it's a two-year program. Uh, so Jerry and I went a year together. She finished, uh, I finished in 14, 2014. And we stayed in touch with our cohorts for a little while, but everybody kind of went their own way. One of the things I, I noticed was that, you know, some of us left the whole systems design program thinking about systems design constantly. And some of us left that program trying to think about how in the world we were going to try and make it work for our careers. I was fortunate enough to be married to somebody who finished the program as well. And in doing so, it ended up being a subject matter in our household constantly. We were constantly playing with these massive ideas that, frankly, when we walked out of the program, we could all kind of pretty much regurgitate what we had learned because it was well packaged you know it was well put together but none of us could really tell you how it applied or what it meant most often than not when i tell people i have a master's degree in whole systems design people ask oh oh computers no not computers oh are you doing civil engineering no no what is whole systems design Whole systems design, which is what the program is called, is is first off, because it's whole, holistic. It is it places the observer, you, me, whoever you know, whoever's looking out from behind the eyes that's observing the system, into the system. So earlier when I talked about how um, we looked at nature, uh, this incredibly complex system. Uh, and we looked at it from this deconstructionist Newtonian perspective. We broke the whole down into its parts well that 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 form of observation inherently does not include the observer right The observer is outside the system, but that 's not true in fact it's, it it can 't be true. You are inside the system all the time, so whole right the it includes you systems so these incredibly complex uh mechanisms of culture and of society and of humanity and of nature and of the universe that can be observed not by breaking them down into their individual parts but from their holes within themselves which end up being uh whole systems embedded inside whole systems, embedded inside whole systems, embedded inside whole systems. So how do you, how do, so, so this, this begs this question, how do you create an infinite matrix of, of finite systems? In other words, how do you create something that goes on forever, but still has boundaries? You embed them. They are fractal. In other words, there are systems within systems I'll give you an example. The human system is incredibly complex. We build cities we build roads we build we have uh, you know Google uh, Google daily daily global flights and look at the incredible complex system of air traffic control Google uh, shipping containers across the uh, you know maps of shipping containers across the globe. you are looking at an incredibly complex system Google, um freeway system map of the United States. Incredibly complex. We are able to not only build these incredibly complex systems, we're able to operate within them. The, the average human being can run fifteen to, you know, 17 miles an hour. And yet I can climb into a piece of metal um, that it runs on uh, carbohydrate uh, hydrocarbons. I can run down the freeway going seventy or 80 miles an hour, what is that? That's hundreds of times faster than, than, uh, let's see. Six times faster than, than, uh, yeah, that's six times faster than, 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 than I'm able to run. That's a massive exponential jump in my ability to move in time and space. And not only am I able to do it, I'm not doing it in a straight line. I'm doing it in turns and curves, and I'm surrounded by a whole bunch of other human beings who are doing the exact same thing. So literally, for millennia, human beings have run or walk for 14, 50 miles an hour. They've ridden a horse for some maybe 30 or 40 miles an hour. Maybe, I don't know, maybe. Uh, But... I can jump into a a car and I can navigate this incredibly complex system with an incredibly limited amount of accidents and incidents and get from point A to point B. That's an incredible system that human beings are. And that shows the incredible power of not only the individual human being, but the collective human being as a whole as well. Okay. So that's human systems. That's incredibly complex. Now, that is embedded wholly and completely within a planet. Yes, there are satellites around this planet, but but they're all pretty much low, you know, you know, they're all within the the magnetosphere at least, right? So so they're embedded within this planet. That planet is embedded within the solar system. This solar system is embedded within its within its its stellar neighbors. These stellar neighbors are moving through the galactic plane on a 26,000 year loop all in the same, same pattern and, and motion. This galaxy is embedded within a supercluster of other galaxies. Those galaxies are embedded within superclusters of superclusters. It all weaves together. It all comes together. And we are but a grain of sand and that is being generous. That is being generous. That is a system embedded within a system. So whole, it includes the observer. System, extraordinarily complex systems that can be observed as wholes and can be, can be seen um, not only infinitely, but can be seen fractally. And design. In other words, it's not just thinking, right? Whole systems theory lends itself to the idea of whole systems thinking, which I'm going to get to in a moment because it's a very important thing. But whole systems design what that says is that the observer can not only observe but the observer can influence the observer can design this is what Krishna Murti meant when he said the only hope for humanity is the transformation of the individual you are the designer i am the designer we are all designers What we design is up to us. And if you think that you're powerless in that design, the complex human world in which we live could not possibly exist if it wasn't for your participation in that design. One way or another, you are participating in the way the world works around you. There is no such thing as a broken system. There are only systems that work for some and don't work for others. And that's a fact. Whole systems thinking. One of the ways to think about whole systems thinking, whole systems uh, or systems thinking is to think about it from the perspective of how do humans learn or what have we learned? What have we taught? Well, in grade school and through the indoctrination of our parents and, you know, when we're children, we learn linear thinking. Linear thinking is. I, I actually don't think it's the, a natural form of how you know we we think and live. I think it's a colonized form. Um, you know, it's it's an extraordinarily simplistic form. It's this idea that A, um, a B, I know c is going to come next. It's this idea that I've got one plus one, therefore two is what it equals. The, the you know that might be like duh to you but it's it's also teaching us to think in a way that is linear so in other words i'm going to go to work i'm going to get a paycheck i'm going to put that paycheck in the bank i'm going to pay my rent i'm going to buy some stuff i'm going to go back to work i'm going to get another paycheck that's linear thinking it creates it creates great workers it doesn't create great thinkers Linear thinking is, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, um, surely if I put this effort into it, this outcome is what will happen. And then there's great disappointment when that effort doesn't result in that outcome. Linear thinking doesn't work real well. It, It works great to keep people in patterns and it works great to keep people kind of locked into place. But it does not work at all, in order to be able to free people from the bondage of thought and culture that exists around us that we feel powerless to. And you are powerless as long as you're thinking linearly. You are not powerless if you learn how to think differently. This is what I call the colonized mind, linear thinking. And it is the vast majority of us. The vast majority of us are stuck in linear thinking. You can remain stuck in linear thinking. It might work for you. However, I think that we are seeing all around us with the great resignation and with the housing crisis of 2008 and with with the pandemic that's on top of us and the supply chain that's falling apart and the rising prices. I think we can see that linear thinking is not going to get you what you need. It's not going to work out. There's no such thing as broken systems. There's only systems that work for some and don't work for others. So if you happen to have a really good high school or if uh, maybe you were in advanced literature, or you know, even even advanced science courses in high school, or if you went on to college and it was a good college, you learn critical thinking. So critical thinking is what came out of, uh, you know, It's what we've been dealing with for the past, you know, 600 years. You know, it kind of starts with the rise of uh, European thinkers um, as they come up out of the church. So, you know, this is individuals like Galileo, um, probably, you know, Leonardo uh, da Vinci, um, for sure Newton and and it, these ideas you know as Europe kind of emerges uh, out of the dark ages and the printing press ends up um, being invented in 1436 ideas begin to be circulated universities begin to pop up um, education, the sciences, the scientific method, all these things kind of emerge out of this time period. And out of that is the westernized world in which we live. And it's this idea of of observing the the observable world and breaking it down into its smallest parts in order to understand it. This This is how our world works. It's how we live in hierarchy, it's how we operate. And critical thinking is a wonderful way to understand, break apart, rebuild uh, our society, our ideas, our, you know, how how they work. And it's a system. It's like a square wheel. It'll roll. You you, you can move a card on a square wheel for sure. It's not going to be very efficient, but you can do it. And eventually you're going to get to the point where you're just like, man, I am going through a lot of oxes. Maybe I ought to think of something different, which is where we're at now. You see, it's not just the fact that we've kind of reached this place where things are falling apart and we can see them falling apart and it's disturbing. You got to kind of wonder, how did we get here? And if you are thinking linearly, you're pointing at one side as you look across the chasm from your side. Well, they did it. The right did it. The left did it. The liberals did it. Those goddamn Democrats. You know what I'm saying? You know, those deplorables, those idiots, those, you know, uh, those weirdos, those. Every time you're pointing across the chasm. Um. You're, you're you're playing into the linear thinking system. And the thing is, is that the crowd on the other side seems to be getting bigger because it is. And the crowd on our side, you're not noticing because you're pointing over there, is getting pretty big too, right? And so you've got these two sides that are growing. Well, why are they growing? They're growing because we have something in place that we are not aware of and it is not a conspiracy. It is not, uh, you know, it is not the Illuminati, uh, you know, or some secret society or whatever. That's not what it is. It's something that we utilize and play with and, and recreate with and, 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 um, and dive into every single day. It is the algorithm that is, the you know iRobot that we actually got we didn't end up with a bunch of killer robots marching through the streets we ended up with an algorithm that sits behind uh, the curtain like the wizard of oz and it pulls the strings and you don't know it you don't know it you simply stare into the blank screen of the oracle your phone and you ask it your questions. And you believe that it's telling you the truth. Well, it is. It's telling you your truth, your truth, not the truth with a, you know, capital T-H-E, capital T-U, uh, T-R-U-T-H, little t, little truth, yours. So what's happening is the algorithm reads you. It reads you better than you read yourself. You know, I mean, unless you, unless you have any sort of practice of self-reflection, the algorithms got you, got you by the nape of the neck and it is twisting and turning you around and you don't even know it. You see, it's not just in your social media. It's not just in, in your search engine optimization, it's in any sort of interaction in which data and information is collated and pooled on the internet. And it's, it highlights biases. So when I spend time on my favorite social media app and I'm engaging in that media app by liking and subscribing and scrolling, every time I make a move on that it's registering the the information in which I'm enjoying, the content I'm liking, and it's feeding me more of it. So if I like kittens, I get kittens all day. And if I like tits and ass, I get tits and ass all day. It's, it is reading you and it's understanding you in a way that you couldn't possibly, unless you pause and don't, Think about it, but meditate on it. You cannot understand how you are being twisted and turned. So the reason why there's so many people on this side of the chasm and there's so many people on that side of the chasm, and it seems to be getting bigger, is because everybody that's in the middle is vacating. And in between, what they're leaving behind is a void, and they're going to one side or the other, and they're going there because the algorithm is feeding them biased information to feed their little t truths in order to try and understand the world better. And it is harming us. This is not. This is not something that is harmful to democracy. This is anti-democracy. These devices and this algorithm, more importantly, which are for profit, because they are run by for written and run by for profit corporations, are designed in order to curate your interests and engage you so that you become the product. TikTok is a wonderful example of this. It records everything. It tracks everything. It uses every little piece of data that you give it. And who's the product? The people posting the videos and the people watching the videos. Both are the product. So who's the real consumer? That's a good question. This algorithm requires us to evolve in the way we think. It requires us to begin to learn a new way of thinking. It requires humanity to transform itself through the transformation of the individual. If we don't do this, If we don't learn this new way of thinking, we are in big trouble. We are the architects of our own demise. Literally. More dangerous than nuclear weapons because we figured out how to live in a world with nuclear weapons. More dangerous than toxic waste because. We could figure out how to deal with toxic waste. This is dangerous because you don't even know it's there. The wizard is behind the curtain. But your back is to the curtain. Your back is staring at that screen with the wizard's face on it. This is where whole systems design comes in. Whole systems thinking. Seeing the world as a whole, seeing the world, seeing systems around us as their whole selves interacting with other systems as their whole selves. What we know when we when we take the sum of the whole and break it down into its parts is that we know that that. Uh, I have a pancreas and I have a liver and I have two lungs and I have two kidneys and I have a heart and I have a skeletal structure and a nervous system. And I have, uh, you know, I have a limbic system and all these parts of my body that make up this human body. But if you were to take every single ounce of material in that and put it into a pile and say, dance, it couldn't dance. So what is it that animates it? What is it that makes it that makes it life? This is called emergence. This is when the parts come together in order to form a new whole that individually they could never be themselves. Now, can kidneys be considered a whole uh, a whole system? Yes, they can. Absolutely. That's what a kidney transplant is, right? I can put my kidney into somebody else. So that's a system that can be put in somebody else. And it can operate and it can do its thing. But is the kidney on its own a human being? No, it's not. No. So so what makes a human being? A human being is made up of all the parts coming together and something new emerges. Something new emerges. This is emergence. Emergence. Now, there's elements to the human being that I think we're only now learning. And I think that we have um we've kind of pushed them off as woo, w u for a long time. and they're and they're not. um, for instance, the electromagnetic field that the heart is making as you walk through the world. it it, without any effort, it is it is it's a standing waveform outside of your body electromagnetic in nature that is three to six feet wide outside of your body. So on either side of me, it's about three feet and it interacts. It's electromagnetic, right? Just like, just like electricity uh, works um, as it comes to your house. Well, what's not happening is, you know, you're not paying your electric bill to have electrons deposited from the trans- transfer station to your electric box, right? Electrons aren't coming into my house and like charging my phone. That's not how it works. In fact, the electrons don't even actually really move. They just kind of move, oscillate back and forth. What's happening is that the electron is moving through the electromagnetic field around uh, the, the, you know, the, the electrical cable, the electricity is moving through that and it's coming into your house and it's, and it's charging things. That's why you can have wireless charging. You know, that's why, uh, it's because of these electromagnetic fields. So if information, i.e. electricity can move just like wireless technology, right? Like I can send a a phone call data on my phone and I'm not attached to any wires. Well, how's it doing that? It's doing that through, through, through a wireless communication, uh, if that, if that happens, then my electromagnetic field of my heart is sending out communication. And when it interacts with other people, it's communicating. Now, I don't think we're aware of that communication because I think we've shut it off because I think we've made, you know, we've, we've made fun of it. We've, we, you know, we called it a joke. We've called it, oh, that's woo woo. Well, maybe, but probably not. What it is is something that we just don't understand and we haven't taken the time to study it and we haven't taken the time to to understand it and that's what looking at the whole is about as we ask these questions about consciousness, as we're trying to understand the makeup of the universe and as quantum theory is demanding us to come up with new ideas in order to get us out of the of, of the century-long hole we've been in as far as trying to understand the science between the quantum level and the Newtonian level, because they don't match up. It doesn't make any sense. Einstein called it the unified field. There must be a unified field that unifies the quanti with the Newtonian, how do we do this? Well, it's not in the material world it's in the space in between the material world. what connects all things space the space in between you and me well, that's empty. no, it's not no, it's not you know we're we're calling it dark energy right now. We're even calling it dark matter, right like you know that that, that but I this is a misunderstanding. There is a, there is a, there is a field at work. And if indeed that field is energy, then it also is full of information. If it's full of information, then that information can somehow be tapped. How do we do that? I don't know. Let's, let's put some degree programs together for that. Let's start getting scientists around that. And you know what? Let's start talking about this algorithm. Let's start talking about it holistically. Let's start talking about it in a new way because I'll tell you what, we're not going to fix this system. So get over it. Take a deep breath. Mourn what you need to mourn, but this system is not gonna get fixed. It does not mean we need to burn it down. It does not mean we need to defund it. It does not mean we need to tear it up, tear it apart. That is not what we have to do. We need to do what Buckminster Fuller told us to do, which was in order to make... In order to dismantle a system, you simply create a system next to it that makes the old system obsolete. You don't tear it down. You build a better system that makes it obsolete. So let's build a better system that makes this obsolete. What is that? It's holistic. It's got to be. It's got to be. There's some things that we're going to have to address, things that I don't have the answers for, you don't have the answers for. You know who has the answers for it? All of us have the answers for it. How do we get there? We have to have a new way of thinking. We cannot stay in linear thinking. That is ignorance. That is incompetence. And frankly, that is illiteracy. That is where the vast majority of us have been educated to, and it's not enough. It's not enough. We cannot stay in critical thinking because critical thinking is dividing us into these boxes. It is further, further alienating each one of us as we stare into our devices. And it is hiding the wizard behind the curtain. We must learn to think holistically and we must be able to learn, communicate and, and interact with, intervene with the system. The only way we can do that. Is by understanding how to see systems. That is going to take a new education system. That is going to take a new money system. Uh, money system. I don't even know that that we should have money now. Can I imagine a world without money? Kind of, kind of. It's difficult. It's really hard. But it's a worthwhile idea to think about. I think that when we are looking at a world without money, I think probably what we're looking at is we're looking at a world with an abundance of energy, free energy that everybody can tap into at any time. And it's so abundant that we can reorganize molecules in order to make clothing, that we can, you know, um, reorganize molecules in order to recycle uh, refuse is this difficult for you to imagine? Well, spend some time thinking about it then. We need to be we need to think about how we how we interact with our energy systems. This is meditation. This is self-reflection. This is journaling. This is good counseling, not crappy counseling. These things are important. We need to cultivate the inner voice, and I'm not talking about the voice inside the head. That voice is ego. And it is the voice in which all of us are living out this Newtonian world. It doesn't work. We are going to have to find the silent silent wind behind it, the silent voice that exists. And it does exist. But you have to quiet yourself to find it. It doesn't mean you have to be silent And you, when you sit there and meditate. It simply means you have to become aware of the voice inside your head and listen past it we need to begin to learn how to grow our own food i I like lawns and i think there's a place for them for sure because in the summertime i love laying in the grass and looking up at the sky but does every front yard have to be a lawn does every backyard have to be a lawn could that park in your condominium uh, complex or that tennis court that never gets used or, or the, the, you know, the park that never gets touched in, in, the, in the neighborhood be turned into a community garden? Could you all start growing your own food? Could you start getting out of your houses and talking to your neighbors? Could you trade tomatoes for cucumbers? Could we get back out and create? Can we create uh, an algorithm that isn't using us as the product, that isn't mining us for our data, but instead creating a deeper connection between us, connecting us with other people who want to square dance, connecting us with other people who want to talk, connecting us with other people so that we can build community? Is that possible? Not fake community. Not like, uh, you know, likes and, 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 and debates on bullshit. Real community. Community where we sit in front of people. Where we have conversations. We are deeply, deeply separated from each other right now. And as scary as the world might be, it is far scarier to be in this position. Well, if you like the Plowline podcast or the Seattle Knot podcast, then go to the social media pages. Uh, there is a Facebook page. It's, uh, it's Facebook.com backslash Plowline. There is a um, LinkedIn page and there is also a... Uh, Instagram page. They're all at Plowline so you can find them. They're very easy. If you want to be a part of this conversation and you want to be a part of this work, then uh, you can go to our Patreon page, which is uh, hooked up to my wife's other podcast, which is patreon.com backslash mixed plate podcast. And I also highly recommend that you uh, check out her podcast. She's an excellent interviewer. And she does a great job of talking. Right now, she's in a series of talking with women of color. uh, And I think it's worth a listen. Finally, if you could like this podcast, uh, rate this podcast on the platform in which you're listening to, uh, give it a review because it really helps us with the algorithm and it's greatly appreciated. Thanks, everybody, for joining me. Really appreciate it. Until next time.